Welcome to the ACO Show. For this episode, Joe and I had a conversation with Dan Bowles. Dan is Allidate's Senior Vice President for Growth. His role at Allidate is helping us grow the world of value-based care by increasing the number of providers in Allidate's ACOs and other value-based contracts. This will be our last show of the season. We'll be taking a break for the rest of the summer and look forward to bringing you some new shows this fall. From our team here, we hope you all have a wonderful summer. pleased to invite Dan Bowles to the ACO show today. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. So Dan is the Senior Vice President of Growth and Network Operations here at Allidate, correct? That is correct. And we have focused quite a bit on network operations and operational concerns in general on the ACO show. And what we'd love to do today is talk specifically about growth and what that means for Allidate. Yeah, that sounds great. Happy to do that. So leading off, what does, what does growth entail here? That's a great question. I try to figure it out most days myself. Um, growth for Allidate is about extending and expanding the network of independent physicians that we partner with across the country. Um, some may call it you know, sales or it sounds in some ways akin to sales. I can assure you that it's not uh, sales in a lot of ways. Um, we're really trying to develop partnerships with independent physician practices and for us expanding the, uh, the market or the network of practices with which we work uh, helps us not only to you know, kind of bring our version of value-based care to uh, more physicians across the country, but also helps to expand the mission of you know, better care for more people uh, at lower costs. I'm never, uh, I never cease to be surprised by the number of sales euphemisms, though, that exist out in the business world. Business development. Oh, God, it's know, awful. It's right? like it's it, some, sometimes you just say sales, but I, I, it sounds like we've intentionally not called it sales in terms of the way we, we view that. That's right. I think there's a, there's a connotation associated with sales um, that just doesn't necessarily fit what we are trying to do. Um, I also think, you know, I was talking to a group earlier today and they asked, you know, what, what you do is really sales. I said, I've never met a sales organization who would um, have a contract in front of a group, um, but potentially pull it back if, <laughs> if their fit wasn't there. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to go into additional detail about, you know, culturally why that's important to us. But just from a business standpoint, um, given the fact that so much of our revenue is back weighted and dependent upon, um, our partners, physician partners' success in value-based care models, it's really important to be cognizant of who we're bringing on and, and the fit is incredibly important, maybe more so than you know, other traditional organizations in healthcare or elsewhere. It's a complicated thing to think about whether we're doing sales or not. You, you know, I've, I also have tried to take in the lesson that we're all selling all the time you know, when we're trying to just convince a practice to do something that will make their, their work life better, uh, help them bring in more revenue, you know, I am trying to, to sell an idea, but is it just that the word has taken on a bad connotation over time of you're trying to sort of sell a lemon and then run? I think that may be a part of it. I think the other piece of the puzzle, you know, you said we're selling all the time. Um, I would maybe flip that a little bit to say we're, we're constantly in persuasion mode. Um, and, 
so much of value-based care and the movement away from fee-for-services around changing behavior and changing the way that practices do things, changing the way that patients experience healthcare, hopefully for the better, in value-based models. And, you know, we, we are constantly in persuasion mode trying to convince others that our view of the world uh, is, is the right way to care for patients and that we can uh, continue to do right by patients and physicians in the system as a whole and that that you know, kind of holy trinity of, of value-based care um, is real. Uh, so I think, you know, whether you call that sales or something else, you know, I, I think is maybe by the, you know, beside the point. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to if you can convince a group of physicians that this is um, the right model of care for them to deliver to their patients and in our particular view of the world, sustain their independence. You touched on the philosophy around the way we think of growth, which if I understood it correctly is intentional and um, partnership based. Uh, How has that or has it shifted at all uh, over your time period at the company? It's an interesting question. And, you know, for additional context, um, I, I'm a KG veteran in the, uh, in the ways of Validate. I guess I've been here for a little more than four years. Um, the company itself is only five years old, so we're celebrating our fifth birthday, I think, last week or this week. Um, in many ways, it's the same. In some ways, it's a little different. Um, I think the biggest change for us is just the scale, really. Um, early on, we were still looking for really good you know, motivated, independent physician practices who wanted to stay independent and were motivated to try to change the way they do things in order to affect that outcome. That hasn't changed. It's just that in 2015, we were looking for 15 or 20 or 30 practices. Now we're looking for, you know, 150 or 200 practices. So I think the scale with which we approach growth Um, really requires a different approach. I don't know that we're looking necessarily for anything all that different in terms of practice makeup, Um, although we are kind of extending into new segments, looking at, you know, existing ACO partners through what we call ACO rescues um, or through federally qualified health centers and multi-specialty practices, maybe more so than we did a few years ago. But um, foundationally and philosophically, I think we're pretty well aligned with, with the vision that Matt and Farzad started with. You know, we're a company that's growing fast and we're trying to grow, but we're also trying to uh, do a lot of good within the practices, within our partner practices. And we have limited resources, limited employees, and you can't give the, you have to decide, are you going to put a little more focus here? Are you going to put a little more focus there? How as a company should Alliday be thinking about where to put the resources rather to focus on, on getting bigger or to making our existing product better and richer? It's a tension that any company, you know, this phase of growth is going to experience. Um, I think in some ways our challenge is not unique. In other ways, it is unique. For us, it's a little bit unique in the latter case because the revenue model associated with value-based care um, requires such substantial investments um, over the course of the first couple of years. So this isn't a, you know, you spend a lot of money on customer acquisition and then you really don't have to do anything after that. Um, For us, customer acquisition is... Um, fairly straightforward. Um, our CFO would hesitate to call it cheap, um, but I think on a comparative basis, we spend more money on, you know, investing in success that our practices are going to succeed uh, to see in the course of their ACO life, um, and less on you know kind of upfront marketing or upfront you know um, business development sort of activities. The um, 
the tension I think is particularly interesting for us because of the mission. Um, and based on what I just said, you would think maybe the answer is you don't focus at all on growth. You don't invest in all in growth. You just you kind of let the results speak for themselves and folks should be calling you. Given that our mission is to expand value-based care in order to help sustain physician independence um, because we believe that helps improve care for patients and reduce costs to the system overall, there's almost like a missionary zeal of expanding. So we want to, you know, we want to bring the mission, bring the model to as many physician practices and patients as we possibly can. And I think for that reason, we continue to invest in growth. We're going to continue to invest in growth in a big way going forward, but not at the expense of our ultimate success. That's how I would frame it. It's probably also true that the more people that are in value-based programs, the more this becomes a mindset. Um, and so that may sort of feed itself that the bigger uh, value-based care gets, the more the people that are doing it will, will be be thinking about it. Yeah, I think in a way that's, you know, the people talk about network effects um, associated with certain ideas. I think that um, is kind of a secular, or, you know, kind of global network effect of, you know, of which we can benefit or from which we can benefit. Um, and I think that the more conversations we have, I, I say this all the time to our team, you know, it's a very, it can be a very complicated partnership development process. You, you know, if you're walking into a practice that never heard of an ACO or doesn't know anything about value-based care, not only are you having to explain, you know, who you are, what you do, before you even get there, you're having to explain the concept, having to explain the model, the policy, you get really stuck in the weeds really quick. So if we're walking into a dynamic where folks already know what we do, then it just makes everything so much easier, faster, um, and helps us and the practice get to a decision point much more quickly. To that, to that point, I, I was just about to jump in with network effects, so I think you're, um, you're right on there. Two good MBAs, right? That's right. <laughs> our alma mater, our respective alma maters would be quite proud. Um, and it, just to, in terms of background on network effect, for the folks who may not be as familiar with it, the key example that, that I learned was the telephone, right? So it's no good to be the first person with the telephone. What you need are everyone else in your family or your various network um, to also have telephones to make it useful. Uh, Facebook is another good example mm-hmm. of that. It's no fun to be the one guy on Facebook. Um, so is that in that same vein, is there an analog for us in terms of sort of an adjacent network effect? In terms of adjacent network effects, I think in some ways you can almost think of the, you know, I hate to group us with these kinds of folks, but, it, you know, the electronic health record companies, right? So um, if everybody is accustomed, you know, the whole concept around electronic health records was that um, if we digitized the patient record, it would be easier to share um, and that, you know, patients could get care in a number of different settings. Um, if you've got one physician who's using electronic health records and nobody else is, it's, you know, it just becomes a, you know, an electronic uh, file cabinet, right? Like there's nothing special about it. Um, but it's when everybody else has electronic health records too, and you can start to exchange data and, you know, we're not going to get into details around frustrating uh, experiences with interoperability, but, you know, conceptually, I think the, the network effect could be potentially strong there in, in healthcare. I think that may be a good example. Another one completely um, outside of the, the, the healthcare world that I was thinking of um, were uh, adopt what is adoption of automobiles, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that 
the likelihood that you're going to have more and better roads is directly related to the number of number of people who have cars. Well, and the same would go for electronic vehicles mm-hmm. or electric vehicles now with the charging stations and you know the, the infrastructure associated with that was a big you know kind of chicken or the egg sort of thing. Although I'd personally like to be the only person in my town with a car. <laughs> Make sure everybody knew. Um, I think that network effects is a perfect way to think about where we are in terms of value-based care right now. And it does feel like we're a little bit of an inflection point, um, aided and abetted in large part by CMS. Uh, and I think a lot of the changes they promulgated with Pathways for Success or Pathways to Success, um, more folks are starting to think about what their value-based care journey should look like. And more folks have accepted that this is um, not just an inevitability, that it's here and that now is the time to really take advantage of it. And we're seeing that uh, not just out on the physician recruitment trail, but in the ecosystems that we participate in you know, nationwide as health systems and specialists start to ask a lot more questions and the, the quality of the conversations that we're having on the recruiting trail uh, continues to step up as folks are asking better questions and actually understand, you know, kind of the ins and outs of how these models really work. Can you talk about any recent markets we've gone to and any differences from prior experiences we've had? Sure. So first I'll kind of give the conventional Allity new market approach. And I should say, you know, um, for context, my my first role at Allidade was as an executive director. Um, I helped lead um, what we used to call the primary care ACO, the Allidade primary care ACO, which included uh, physician practices across three different states. So we had um, physician practice partners in Arkansas, Maryland, and Staten Island all collaborating together. Um, they were more, uh, they had a lot more in common than you might think. Um, accents aside, they you both, had a purple ACO. That's what I, I did. I had a purple ACO to get, to get a little political. Um, although it's very interesting, the politics of uh, Staten Island yeah. and Sheridan, Arkansas are actually not that different um, in, in, in any ways. The my experience um, over the course of my first couple of years at Allidade was about new market development and really you know kind of how do you take um, you know a handful of practices and turn it into you know fifteen twenty thirty practices a really viable and functioning ACO. So for that work, it's really about developing local relationships with physicians, uh, physician associations at the local chapters of the American Academy of Family Physicians and um, MGMA and American College of Physicians for the internists. Um, looking at the osteopathic associations as well. Um, that is kind of what I would consider to be, you know, kind of the traditional pound the pavement, get out and meet and greet, you know, folks and really look for um, high quality, high caliber physicians who were ready for something new. Um, it wasn't everybody. Um, this was, you know, really a select group of physicians. More recently, we've had a couple of markets, North Carolina especially comes to mind, um, where certain activities or certain partnerships have really kind of blown the gates wide open for us. So we have a collaboration with Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina under the leadership of Patrick Conway and a handful of others to establish physician-led ACOs across the state. And they have been a tremendous partner to us in helping extend our model to independent physician practices across North Carolina. Uh, to the point where just 18 months ago, we didn't have a presence at all in North Carolina. And by the end of this year, we'll be working with more than 100 practices and have, you know, somewhere between 125 and 175,000 lives in risk contracts um, starting on January 1, 2020. Um, that sort of growth, I think, is just, you know, 
it's it's of a, a significantly different magnitude than what we've seen in the past. And I think it's evidence of what can happen and how quickly things can evolve and change when you establish an alignment, not just in the contract between the payer and the provider and a third party, but also in just the philosophy undergirding the changes in the market. So North Carolina Blue Cross, I give them a lot of uh, give them a lot of credit. They have really, you know, invested in transforming the care delivery system in North Carolina in a way that benefits sustained physician independence. And we're very happy to be a part of that process alongside them. In thinking about our expansion into North Carolina, it makes me wonder whether we have uh, a target for uh, commercial contracts, meaning com- contracts with various payers like we do with Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, versus our uh, traditional Medicare focused business. You know, I think the the way that we think about it is less a split between one book of business or a payer versus another. Um, it's more about getting to 100% or as close to 100% of the patient panel as we can with a practice um, in value-based care. So um, take, for example, if we're working with uh, one physician practice that may be only participating in value-based care from Medicare, they're in a Medicare Shared Savings Program ACO with Allidaid, uh, but they're in fee-for-service contracts across the rest of their payers. That may be you know, 30% of their business um, in terms of patient volume is in an ACO and 70% is in traditional fee-for-service. That practice really has you know, what we call a foot in two canoes, and the canoes are sometimes going in opposite directions. Um, whereas, you know, conversely, if you had a practice that had each of their payer contracts in value, everything is self-reinforcing. So uh, in those dynamics, the practices that we've been able to affect that change with, I'm thinking about you know, North Carolina is a good example because we do have multiple payer relationships, um, including Medicare and a couple others. Um, but Kansas is another one. Louisiana is another one. Um, there are a handful of others out there. Those are really places where we've been able to really transform the way practices operate day to day. Every single one of their patients is in a risk contract. Every single one of their patients is flowing through our population health tool. Uh, at least their data is. Um, and this has now become the way the practice does business. This is just how they function and how they operate. And as a result, you're starting to see that um, you're starting to see success across all books of business for those practices so that they're seeing you know, the upfront dollars, whether they be fee-for-service or some other mechanism of payment, plus shared savings being more predictable and sustainable. So I think for us, it's it's less about one book of business versus another and more about how many practices can we realistically get to 100 or, or close to 100% of their patients in value-based contracts. The, the staging of that is interesting. Um, and putting your investor hat on, you used to be on the, the investment side. Yeah. Um, would you invest in a company uh, just starting out that said it wanted to do both commercial and Medicare and Medicaid and basically everybody who ever pays for care in a practice? Um, Or would you be more likely to invest in a company that said, we really want to do the commercial side? That's our sweet spot, but we're open to expanding or any of those other segments first. Uh, So I'm obviously a little biased based on my my decision uh, to join Allidade. I think from an investor perspective, it really depends on your time horizon. 
Um, the focusing on one payer in particular may be more efficient, more effective in the short term. Uh, I think you're, you know, you could stand a reason that you'd be more successful more quickly in that model because you had the benefit of focus and you could narrow your efforts. Um, but the long-term payoff may not be as high as if you go for all of them. Um, and I think that goes towards, you know, kind of the benefits of scale. It goes towards the reinforcing nature of a lot of these contracts and changing the way practices operate. Um, and I think that the businesses that are able to truly affect meaningful and lasting change are the ones that are always going to be worth more, you know, from an investor's perspective. And it's hard for me to envision meaningful long-term change if all you're trying to do is focus on, you know, 20% of a practice's patient population. I think it's imperative, particularly given the work that we do with practices in order to help them change the way they see patients, change the way they deliver care to make sure they're doing that across everybody. And I think, you know, I, brought, I said earlier, our mission compels growth in a lot of ways. I think our mission compels expansion to new payer contracts as well. Yeah, I can see how superficially it would make sense to somebody evaluating it that you want to get good at one thing, have a core skill, uh, something that can really scale, you know, just get good at Medicare, shared savings. But then you go to a doctor's office and you see how almost literally crazy making it is that they have quality measures from 10 different payers that aren't all the same, that they have yeah. documentation requirements that are all over the place. And it really does make the most sense if you can consolidate to one system that you know pays for outcomes and measures quality in, in a consistent way. Yeah, and it brings to mind a, a story from the recruiting trail. Believe me, there's, there's many. But one um, in particular, the practice administrator um, and I were having a conversation about um, harmonizing quality measures and making sure that you were focusing on the right thing across the total patient panel um, and simplifying them. And she pulled out a spreadsheet that she'd printed out, and she said, this is last year's quality measure set. It was four pages long and three pages wide um, of a grid that had something like 34 measures across seven or eight different modalities that just... It's impossible for uh, you know anybody to manage all of that, much less an independent small physician practice that has um, you know a bunch of patients that are knocking on the door all the time who need care. So I think in many respects the the value that Allidade brings to bear and the way I talk about you know kind of what we do on the recruitment trail is not one value based contract or one way of doing things. It's it's the framework. You know Allidade creates the framework for you to participate in value based care change the way you deliver care to patients so that you can do better by them and sustain your independence for the long run. And I think that framework metaphor is really, really um, helpful to practices. And I think it's certainly you know, pertinent as you think about the four page long quality measures grid. Yeah, I've seen those. They're, they're atrocious to look at. They're just, oh, just they're painful. Awful. They're just, they're, they're terrible. And, and I think the tapping into that frustration and in the recruiting trail can really be motivating because you want to try really hard to make their lives easier. And from my perspective, from our team's perspective, we're really working hard to try to, you know, get these physicians into situations that are just better for them so that they can do better by their patients. Dan, what are you most excited about thinking uh, in the next couple of years for Allidade? I think the amount of growth potential that we have is tremendous. I think 
we've just done a total addressable market analysis for uh, our investors and our board, and um, it showed that we have something around the you know order of three percent market share um, amongst independent physician practices um, who take Medicare patients. So there's there's boundless opportunity, and I when I look out at the universe of you know addressable market, I see just all sorts of great things that we can do to help physicians take better care of their patients. And you know, for me, a lot of this work is certainly focused on improving care delivery. And you know, you can get into all the wonky policy stuff, but um, it's about helping keep care in the communities. So I grew up in a small town, and it was really important for us and my family to have a close connection to our family physician uh, and the practice. And the work that we do helps keep those practices going in these communities, helps sustain that presence in the community in a way that's really good for patients and, and really good for the community as a whole. And I think that's, when I, get, when I come down to it, I get really excited by the opportunity to help a bunch of communities and a bunch of places that maybe I'll never get to go to personally, but I know that Allidate as an organization will help to improve. Very nice. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me.